Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwalt. And I'm Eliana Johnson. So that makes this ink-stained wretches, I think. And I think what we do here is that we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Does that check out? Chris, reunited at long last. Reunited. I have not uh, gotten to listen to the Hammer episode I was going to say we had the lovely Mary Catherine Ham. I'm just glad I wasn't replaced. You. Glad uh, I did. Chris was Chris was uh, middle-aged men gone wild on spring break <laughs> last week. You know how it goes. And uh, farmer farmer tans and Waffle House. I actually was also traveling, and I was a uh, new mom with baby gone wild. Where did you go? Uh, we were in Florida, but Florida? it was you know. Working, working trip. Oh, a working trip. But I bet you found a little time to bask in the sun. The baby did her first dip in the pool, and she was, it was <gasps> like bathwater. She was totally not. She looked totally unimpressed. Is she? A, you think she's going to be a water dog? She likes water. Okay, that's fun. Yeah, it's fun. And then you put them in the little ringy ding thing, where they float around and splash in the pool, and they can do it for hours. It's so. I'm so jealous of. I love those little baby years. We had. I had a ritual with my uh, eldest son, where we would watch. Uh, so HBO had a thing called like Classical Baby, and in the mornings, I would. We'd have breakfast together. Give him a bottle on the couch and watch Classical Baby, which is like. Uh, Mozart and Bach over cartoons of caterpillars and stuff. I know exactly what that is. And it was just, my my heart swells just thinking about how nice those times were. And I'm so glad that you get to do that. Now he's a bratty teenager. He is no brat. He is a lovely gentleman. And I am very proud of him. Yes, quite so. His, 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 uh, my, I've reached the point with my eldest man child now that we have fundamental policy debates and that he is we're, we, he's linking Wall Street Journal articles to send to me as the, the, the start of a debate about urban planning. So I am if, 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 the, if, if this is the insouciance of 13, I say more of it. Bring it on. <laughs> well, I don't know whether you know this, but I was kind of a huge dork in high school. Oh. So I, I can, I'm, I'm in. Wow, color me, color me shocked. <laughs> As I'm sitting here in a bow tie, with I was yes. also not cool in high school at all. But were you scary? Were you like, um, d- were you no, respected? No, not I was respected. a very good student, and I was a social reject. I am now. Well, I will send this to my friend Courtney. So. A girl a year ahead of me. She was like the most popular, prettiest girl in the high school. So funny. And did I was, you go to like a big public high school? I know. I went to a private okay. school. So it was like snooty and I was not cool. How big was your graduating? 100 people. Okay. Mine was 54. Well, I'm now very good friends with this girl, but I'm like, we were not friends in high school. You did not think I was cool. And she insists that, like, I always thought you were cool. We were friends. We have very different memories. Yeah, lies. Like, I'm like, no, 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 no. I think anybody who liked high school too much, I am suspicious of because it's not, it was not, I mean, there were great parts and I have friends that I, you know. Friends, I have friends to this day who I was friends with then. Shout out to you, Stuart Altmeyer, out in Texas, my favorite ponytail lawyer. But the, I had all of that is true. But high school is hard. Oh, 
Here's the, this is like the best data point on how not cool I was. Didn't I never went to dances, okay. like school dances. No one ever asked me. Okay. Them. I never had dates for them. Didn't go to prom. Maybe I went to one, but like without a date. It was so like humiliating. Well, I was just a big dork and always had a crush on the same girl. It was a it was a, an odyssey of of misbegotten love and all of that stuff. So I was even I was an even bigger tool. So don't, I, I definitely. Oh, we should have linked up and like two of together. <laughs> exactly. We would. We would. I would have been like West Virginia. Whoa. Yeah. As culture a, shock. As as opposed to the sophisticates of the sophisticates of the Twin Cities. Yeah. yeah. But we could have read Hayek while the kids were dancing. Yes. We have a stacked front page Fant- this week. A fantastic show. I feel like we have so much because we kind of missed a week. But uh, all right. Great first item on the front page, above the fold. Behold, <laughs> dun, 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 the Washington Post, a week behind the New York Times, authenticates the Hunter Biden laptop. And I loved that they have a piece published yesterday with the headline, here's how the Post analyzed Hunter Biden's laptop. And we'll link it in the show notes, but it details how they retained... Two tech security experts who examined the laptop at the request of the Post and were able to verify that, you know, 20% of this stuff was real for sure. And the rest of it, it looks real. We can't quite tell. It is just so amazing to me. Like, why didn't they do this in October? They had no curiosity or like no ability to retain these security. Of 2020. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I. I think your delight is well placed. Uh, you have this one coming because you have been hard, right? You have rightly been very hard on the the. What are we supposed to call these? The legacy. Have you not been? I sort of think of the Hunter Biden story. So, interestingly, the Post reporting, the most damaging reporting I have seen on Hunter Biden yet, does come from the Post. Because they had to authenticate it in order to do the reporting. And the reporting is about his, the wildly corrupt seeming antics of Hunter Biden with the Chinese shady bank. And the money flows look inappropriate. And it what it looks like is what happens around the world. Have you, do you remember the famous story about Jeb Bush getting, as a very young man, like maybe 30 years old or whatever, getting crossways, selling influence in Africa while his dad was vice president or president. No. And I don't know whether this was the triggering point for George H.W. Bush's now famous letter to his sons when he was running, where he said, guess what? This is unfair. But here's what's going to happen to you as a result of me running for president. Your business opportunities will shrink, not expand, because you're going to have to turn down everything that looks like it might possibly, conceivably, by any stretch of the imagination, be crooked. It's a beautiful letter. I would encourage anybody to look it up. Because Let's link it in our – let's uh, link that letter in the show notes. A, 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 a loving statement from a father to his sons acknowledging the realities about public service. And Wait, Chris. Are you trying to suggest to me that – Joe Biden did not write <laughs> such a letter to Hunter Biden. So that we know about the Biden brother, the Biden son, and the influence. So the way it happens in much of the world is you want something from the government, hire or pay his family, right? You find the leader and say, oh, it just so happened. Oh, 
The, the, do you remember Hillary Clinton and the cattle futures? Of course. That's uh, a great the, – what's the book about that called? I've, oh, my gosh. Well, it's 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 it's, it's by Ted Olson, the late – No, no. Uh, I'm thinking of a different book. Okay. Well, um, flows of money to family members of influential politicians is not a new thing in America, but it is common practice in much of the rest of the world, right? In places where there's much higher corruption index in the United States. How many people gave Donald Trump Jr. stuff in hopes that he would be helpful to his dad? I'm sure that it happened. But what's amazing to me about the Hunter Biden stuff is it's obvious corruption. And when I say it's obvious corruption, I don't mean that there's evidence that Joe Biden did some favor for somebody somewhere. But it's it was it's on its face, obvious corruption. And so much of the right wing reporting on Hunter Biden focused on depravity, not corruption, focused on sex and drugs and him being a debauched bad person. But the real the, the scandal- yes and no that original New York Post story no, was about for sure. corruption for sure there is I mean I will say when you see that laptop like the the depravity to corruption ratio is large but my point is uh, not to say there's not a lot of corruption but there's a lot of depravity Hunter Biden's depraved life and I hope that he is well I hope that he is on the road to recovery. I hope all of those things are true, but the depravity of his life prior to this time is not material. It's it's lurid. It's scandalous. Well, can I just say? Yeah. Let's like take the Wayback Machine. the The depravity of his life became of interest when the Biden team tried to get ahead of it by going to the New Yorker. Yes. And they put it all out yes. there. And they had fair game. I'm not saying it's not fair game. So like it originally got out there. Oh, he he was, you know, shacking up with a homeless woman named Bicycles and doing drugs. And is that true? Totally. That was all in the New Yorker piece, which. And this this was after he had taken. That was during the campaign. And it was after he had taken his late brother's wife as a lover. It was all in there. Well, so that originally, and that was obviously the Biden team. It was with their cooperation, yeah, get it out going there. to them to get it out, which there. is a so, smart strategy. So, yes. But my point is not that it wasn't fair game, just that it's lurid, but it's not material. Whereas the corruption part is material, and then the reasonable question for the Biden administration after this Washington Post reporting is this: What are you going to do? How are you going? Because we we well, read we know the answer to that. We read about the, this. Was it also Samantha? Was it also the Post that did the story on Anita Dunn? Yes. And the reporting on how Anita Dunn shocking is uh, the, Anita Dunn for anybody who doesn't know is a permanent fixture of the Democratic elite in Washington D.C. Every Democratic administration, I, I think, including Clinton. I don't know, whether, but she's at S- SDK Knickerbocker, and she's skirting. Biden regulations on ethics by being basically a contractor. <laughs> She's basically a contractor to the administration rather than going through the administration. So the question is, and I think a point worth making here is Donald Trump in his ethically obtuse, morally confounded administration set a very low bar. That doesn't mean that there is no bar. And it doesn't mean that Democrats can forever just say, like, well, <laughs> maybe maybe there's some blurry lines with an influential Chinese bank. Maybe Anita Dunn is doing stuff wrong. But look at but look at Trump. That's not a defense. That is, I believe the term is whataboutism. Well, 
I, of course, was looking my chops when I saw this Washington Post thing and the New York Times a week prior verifying the authenticity of the laptop to go back and see what were they writing about the laptop in 2020 because it is so galling. Uh, So the New York Times in October 18th, 2020, piece by Katie Robertson, the headline is, New York Post, this is what they had to say about it then. New York Post published Hunter Biden report amid newsroom doubts. This is a New York Times worthy news back then. And I just want to read from it because it's so amazing. The New York Post's front page article about Hunter Biden on Wednesday was written mostly by a staff reporter who refused to put his name on it, two Post employees said. Bruce Golding, a reporter at the Rupert Murdoch-owned tabloid since 2007, did not allow his byline to be used because he had concerns over the article's credibility, the two Post employees said, speaking on the condition of anonymity out of fear of retaliation. So their response was not to try to as the Post has now done two years there, substantiate the reporting. It was to try to discredit the reporting and the processes. And I'm just scrolling down here. There is no correction, no update to this report. Katie Robertson, send us an email. And um, and maybe there was other cover. Maybe there was maybe this was a sidebar piece. I don't know. Oh, well, I don't know. I'll go to Politico. My next tab. (laughs) Hunter Biden story is Russian disinfo. Dozens of former Intel officials say. That was a doozy. Okay, let's read from it. This is my favorite line, quote, while the letter's signatories presented no new evidence, they said their national security experience yeah. had made them, quote, deeply suspicious that the Russian government played a significant role in this case, close quote, and cited several elements of the story that suggested the Kremlin's hand at work. Guys, d- are, do you fear for our national security th- when our national security experts see I, the Kremlin's hand at work here? I don't know how many episodes we have done of ill-inkstained retros, but it was in the very early going that we had the debate about whether or not I would we would each have gone with the Hunter Biden story as it was given to the Post. And I'm still a no. And we not... Now, obviously, if I had the Washington Free Beacon is a hell yes. A hell and yes. it was a former Free Beacon reporter who whose name was on that story. Yep. But I... Am, I both things can be true. And I'm just waiting for the Pulitzer. Both, I'll be waiting a long time. Both, both things can be true, which is that it would have been prudent to have waited, and that waited it for what to know that to know the the problem with stolen stuff it wasn't stolen. Well, the problem with what with when the evidence trail is not clear. Right. We got the guy with the laptop, and he says this is Hunter Biden's laptop. Until Hunter Biden says, "Yeah, that's my laptop." Then the question is, has this been altered? Has stuff been put on here? Is this a true record? And you, if you can't be sure, and you're so close to an election, and I would have done it. You don't know what the Post did. It was not hard to authenticate the things on there because lots of people we know, mm-hmm. their emails were on there. Yep. One prominent Fox News host, his emails are on there. It is not hard to contact those people and say, right. hey, I no, saw I, this. I totally like, agree. It is, it's actually quite easy. I totally and agree. I don't know, Chris, like when you see the pictures of Hunter, you know, naked, smoking crack, like, you know, reads, seems authentic to it's, me. It seems authentic, but you, but more, more, more I realize, needed to be done. I 
for sure. But it, it's not that hard to authenticate. I agree. As they say they did, like they reached out to the people whose yep. emails they can see. And and they should have hustled. And, and in fact, the, Bariz- the, the guy, the business partner, I forget his name now, who did the Burisma deal came forward before the election and he well, said, he was super those frothy. are my emails. He was super frothy. But on like what basis do you say he was frothy? He because said, those are authentic emails. Yes, he said that, but then he slid into a very part he he revealed himself to be he he dis, discredited himself a little bit with his enthusiasm partisan enthusiasm he was partisan but that i don't think that discredits him saying like those emails are real it's true but it was possible that there were things that weren't real i think we sure. i think we agree yes. that the the right thing to have happened would have been for wealthy, powerful news organizations to have swung into action. To invest the resources they have now done. To to find out the truth of the matter and get down to it as opposed to – and by the way, it ended up being a dumb story for the, on the right and the left because on the right, the story was about Twitter's suspension of the article. And it's like, well, it got far more attention because of that suspension than anything else, right? And the New York Post is still a – newspaper that publishes and has a lot of readers. So what are you talking about? So both sides sort of missed it there. But I think we're in agreement. They should have done this two years ago. We should get a meme of Chris just saying on the right and the left. <laughs> oh. That's like Chris's I am you know, a, I am a stock bo- phrase. But I'm not a both sides. I'm an all sides. Uh, Everyone is terrible. You know, my as I've told you before, my favorite thing about the Me Too followed by the Black Lives Matter, the different movements recently where the conclusion has been that not that middle-aged white men don't have all the answers. And I say, this is true. We do not. Do you know who does have all the answers? No one. Everyone is wrong all the time and everybody's an idiot. So just try to not oppress, stay busy trying to not oppress other people. What do you got next? I don't know. What do we got? I feel spent. I feel spent. No, that was exhausting. Oh, no. This is your bonus, Taylor Lorenz. Oh, this is... Um... We're, going to, we're going to visit the Angstine wretches. Uh, sorry. No. Not the wretches, Looney Bin. The Eliana Johnson TM personal. TM personal. Bin. Chris uh, has... Dis- yeah. I disaffiliate yes. myself. <laughs> okay. So your fave, Taylor Lorenz, uh-huh. formerly of the New York Times. Now of the for- Washington for- Post. Formerly of... Vicious backbiting with her colleagues in public at the New York Times has her first big, and the Washington Post ran it with a exclusive. big black oval that says "exclusive" on this story. And I'm like, they they news alerted it. They were like, here it comes. And the headline is Facebook paid GOP firm to malign TikTok. And I'm like, well, yeah. What do you hire firms for, dummies? Like, what do you, what do you think all these people hire? All of these media manipulators to do, and the breathless alternative headline is like Facebook engages in routine corporate, right? You know what do they, they do. They hire and yes. and and you go through it. So the, the line rival, the, the line rival, the the lead pair. The lead is Facebook parent company Meta is paying one of the biggest Republican consulting firms in the country. One of the biggest. Can you imagine how huge? Biggest in the country to orchestrate, orchestrate, that sounds very nefarious, a nationwide campaign, nationwide, across the whole country, (laughs) even Hawaii, wow, a nationwide campaign seeking to turn the public against TikTok. And it goes on to cover- My question is, like, why isn't the federal government in on this? Yeah, so so the article goes on to explain how Targeted Victory, which is a big Republican firm- but it's not like the Death Star, how targeted, how Facebook hired a Republican firm to poop on their competitor 
and try to get negative stories about their competitor in public. I like these people. Which is what everyone does. It is, it's gross, but it is the truth. It's it, even gross, it's just business. Well, I mean, look, the degree to which we count on journalists, I count on you, Eliana, to know the difference between a worthwhile story brought to you as opposition research and a not worthwhile, that your standards remain high regardless of the source. It is unfortunate to say that not everybody is as principled as you are. And, uh, tell me more, Chris. And I, I, tr- and I try to be. I have turned away. Hard to live life being this principled. I know. As we're this good, it, our goodness really does. It's a burden. No, but you know my point, that there are a lot of people who take stuff they shouldn't take. And they take it as beet sweeteners and stuff. And it does happen. Yeah. And, there, and there's opposition research that shouldn't get published. It does. But this post story is so dumb because it is making a scandal out of what is ordinary routine practice. Totally. Jeez Louise. Totally. And we should have an ink stain countdown until Taylor Lorenz uh, goes to TikTok as head of PR or something. <laughs> the, the, I, I, you, she has, I'll put it this way. She has delivered so far on your promises. Totally. Her, first, her first big story at the Post delivers on your promise. Kate Bedingfield, White House Communications oh, yeah. Director. Let's take a listen. She had her first star turn at the podium in the absence of Jen Psaki and her deputy, Karine Jean-Pierre. Uh, so she met the press. Let's take a listen. So the policy decision has been made that the war in Ukraine and the displacement of those people is more urgent to the United States than the displacement of millions of people due to earthquakes, hurricanes, and political strife in this hemisphere. I, I think that's a little bit putting words in my mouth. My point was only that we're... That we have put forward uh, a process to allow 100... to bring 100,000 uh, Ukrainian refugees into the country, given the uh, incredible duress and the crisis uh, that they're facing in their homeland. So now that wasn't exactly Jim Acosta versus Kaylee McEnany, but the, the, a little a little Ed O'Keefe giving a little uh, elbow there to Bettingfield on her first outing. How did how do you think she did? You have been in those seats. I was not too impressed. He he was not putting words in her mouth. He was not. And in fact, I don't think it would have been hard to say. You know, Paul, the, this job requires making hard choices, and this is a really hard choice that we have had to make. So, in fact, we are admitting people from Ukraine over people in these other... Tony Snow, Tony Snow would have... It's hard, and yeah. it stinks. Tony Snow would have crushed that over... I, I, hit it all the way out of the baseball stadium. You know, I mean, policy is like choosing between the bad choice and the yeah. worst choice. And, and yes. to pretend that... And being like, don't put words in my mouth. To govern is to choose necessarily and this is a war and this is the choice that we're making and she could have done that succinctly but i will also tell you one of the secrets and you see this with you can tell the difference with press secretaries where like good ones and i actually think saki's not bad good i think she's good i think she joins she does not lose her cool she doesn't i mean also she's treated better but like she 
There hasn't been a high-profile Saki screw-up that people nope. talk about. It's her freaking boss. And she, it, it is her boss, and she is, and unlike her predecessors in the Trump administration, she's given latitude to really do it. And, you know, she joins a, a group of people. I mentioned Tony Snow, Dana Perino. We can think of the, the press secret- secretaries over time who managed to be respected but not hostile and adversarial, that there is a way, there, it, finding the space, the look on her face, this is a, a an audio product, but the look on her face, the, the scowl as the- It was like she smelled a toot. Yeah, it was like she mm-hmm. quite so, and that, that doesn't Colin, count again. That doesn't Producer count again. Producer Colin us. is making that look right now, too. It, I don't think he liked my- no, it did. It did. But we know what it is. And thank you for using the proper. As a parent, you're learning all the proper nomenclature like toot. <laughs> My daughter doesn't even understand words yet. But yeah. Laura Logan. Oh, yeah. Got Laura Logan on deck. Speaking uh, of. Speaking out that she was, quote, dumped by Fox. So headline Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone is so awful. Because they tart up every single headline. It is it is so, like, rung to the, the every dropout. But conspiracy, so in one headline, which is only three, six, nine, 11 words, they say, conspiracy theorist Laura Logan thanks God she was, quote, dumped by Fox, in which Laura Logan, who was peering on, I want to get this right, she was appearing on, oh, now I have to subscribe to read the story. Sorry, Rolling oh, Stone. I, wait, I don't. Okay, I've got it. First click. She was on, she said in a video interview, I like they say on a right wing streaming show, unclear what that we'll was. Well, click on the, can you click on yeah, it? Tell us yeah, what it is. Let's Rumble, see. Don Smith show. <laughs> not familiar. Red alert. Uh, Red alert. Not Move familiar. away. Move but away she's gone. From the wow. <laughs> <laughs> like how the mighty have fallen from 60 <laughs> minutes to something I've never heard of. Check Rumble. me on Rumble. Uh, this is like the Will Smith thing, which we'll get to, but uh, where. Denzel Washington, what did he say to him? Like, that Denzel Washington, like, warned him, basically, that, oh, let's look up the exact saying, because I don't want to. Denzel Washington, Will Smith. Hold on. Denzel Washington said to Will Smith. This is just a show of people um, Googling things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Listen. Uh, Denzel said to me a few moments ago, he said, at your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. Word. Okay, so. As Abraham Lincoln, I will now butcher a Lincoln quote. Which is something to the effect of, any fool can suffer if you want to take the measure of man, give him success. I love it. But, uh, okay, so what so, did she say to so Rolling Stone said, you have the link? I was dumped by Fox. That's what happened to me. Let's play it. Let's play the link. Laura Logan talking to Rumble Person. Rumble Person. No. Okay, so she said a lot. For context here, Laura Logan said a lot of super flaky stuff. She was dumped for comparing Fauci to... Joseph Mengele. Among the things that did not get her dumped, that she was back on air after, included the Mengele, the the Mengele Fauci comparison. Uh, but fi- and she had been sort of a favorite of Sean Hannity's. And there's a category of where it, of these John Solomon esque, breathless sort of right wing. Take a kernel of truth in the story, blow it up, as much as we saw with some of the Hunter Biden stuff. It is weird, though. Like, Fox couldn't abide her. This was a bridge too far, but the Tucker stuff about how the government was really— Well, but Tucker Tucker is smart, and what Tucker does— Explain that, yeah. What Tucker does and what people and many others do is they're just asking questions. 
was this a false flag? I'm not saying it was a false flag operation. Well, no, I'm but just that, asking. The Fox Nation doc makes the case that yes. it was. But he says, Tucker doesn't say this was a false flag operation. He says, people are saying, it's like Donald Trump, my favorite press statement from a former president ever, Donald Trump this week. Many people are asking. That was so good. Many people are asking. Many people are talking about So I'm just going to come out and say it. Yes, it's true. I shot a hole-in-one on my golf course when I was playing with <laughs> Ernie Els. Finally, we can put it all to rest. Many people are asking. I so love I he will... described, like, the noises the ball made. Yep, and he's clank. like, clank, clank, yeah. You can read it in today's Starwaldisms, uh, available so from good. the dispatch.com. Uh, wait, so Chris, good. I hope this doesn't hit too close to home. Oh, no. But you and Laura Logan have something in common. We have both been fired by Fox. You can both say I was dumped by Fox. I sure was, but I will also. That may be the only thing you have in common. For well, and 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 also we both look great in jewel tones. <laughs> but the the reality here is, you know, Fox is facing these massive lawsuits over the Dominion vote. Do you the, think this is related to the lawsuit? No, I just think that it, it, they they have they have failed to take corrective, responsible action to maintain a decent reputation. There's still decent reporters there who are doing great work, and there's still good journalists. There, there are people who are, who are practicing good journalism at Fox, but they did not take the correct steps at the correct times when they should have to maintain that brand. And now they've got to—the cleanup will go on— Roger Ailes knew, like with Glenn Beck, you got to get this guy out of the building. Yep, I was there when that happened. You got to get this guy out of the building. He can't be around here anymore because we're going to get, it's going to blow up some point. So this is like a slow, half-hineed climb to, you know, like, I I assume Maria Bartiromo is still still a prominent figure at Fox. So it's not. It, it is it is not a clean sweep, but I suppose this is this is a remediation effort. Final item on our front page: Mick Mulvaney brought on as a CBS News contributor, and I'm sure our listeners will be shocked to hear that. How did that go the over? Employees at CBS are not happy. Were, they were unhappy, you say? Uh, so the Washington Post headline is turmoil at CBS News over Trump aide Mick Mulvaney's punditry gig. The First paragraph is CBS News's decision to hire former Trump administration official Mick Mulvaney as a paid on-air contributor is drawing backlash within the company because of his history of bashing the press and promoting the former president's fact-free claims. So the interesting part of the piece is the statement, was it verbal? Yeah, told the staff. So here, here, but a top network executive seemed to lay the groundwork for the decision. Now, Mick Mulvaney is not Mark Meadows, right? Mick Mulvaney maintained, I believe, and I I may be wrong, I don't think he ever did stop the steal weird stuff. I don't think he tried to subvert the Constitution. I think he said some things about Donald Trump that were a little pitiful from time to time, but I don't think he's a Mark Meadows figure, right? Am I correct in that, that that Mulvaney still has some respectability after his time in Trump-Ganistan? I don't... I don't want to opine on that. But I, I don't my, really think it's relevant. Well, I think I'll put it this way. Let's use a more extreme case than Mark Meadows, who would not be, in my opinion, suitable to hire. But Steve Bannon, 
right? Mick Mulvaney is not Steve yeah, Bannon. To- totally agree with that. And I think he's still better than Mark Meadows. Mulvaney, like, he was a member of Congress. Yes. He held prominent position in Congress. He's a smart guy. Yep. He was, he, he ran out the Office of Management and Budget. Yep. Like, and Meadows was also a member of Congress. But um, Meadows said and did some things that would make him not suitable to hire for a job like this. I'd be fine if they hired Meadows, too. Like, it's not like these networks hold themselves to such high standards. No, I know, I know. But, I'm, you know I'm just making the point here that the reaction to every Mulvaney is, lunatic, is extreme. Know, has a punditry gig on these networks. The, the, the reaction to Mulvaney is excessive, or the, the purported, and I'm sure exaggerated, reaction. But here's what the Post really wants to talk about. But a top network executive seemed to lay the groundwork for the decision in a staff meeting earlier this month when he said the network needed to hire more Republicans to prepare for a, quote, likely, close quote, Democratic midterm wipeout. Quote, if you look at some of the people that we've been hiring on a contributor basis, being able to make sure that we are getting access to both sides of the aisle is a priority because we know the Republicans are going to take over, most likely, in midterms. That is CBS News co-president Niraj Kalamani told the staff of the network's morning show, according to a recording of his comments obtained by The Post, quote, a lot of people that were helping or the, a lot of people were bringing in are helping us in terms of access to the side of to that side of the equation, which is yeah. normal Duh. again. Normal when a party takes over, when you know, yeah. when everybody, including the Democrats, you might not get a full picture of the country. So uh, they think, as, if, as if these networks aren't suffering from, you know, and, partial access to information. And if they hire worldview, if they hire Mick Mulvaney, then they can say to Mick Mulvaney, "Would you call Kevin McCarthy, please, and tell him that we really want to do an interview with him, and that might help." And duh, like much like the. Taylor Lorenz talking about what Meta does. Again, I find myself trashing the Washington Post every week. I feel like I have a real, like... But you did like their China piece. I did like their China piece. But anyway, the this is a very obvious thing, and this is why people do things, and this is like, duh. Duh. But I, I guess the point here is, and this is a Jake Teperian uh, stance about Whoa. Not, not going to have anybody on... Warning, who, warning. Not going to have anybody on who has been sullied by the Trump stuff, right? We're not going to give them airtime. We're not going to put them around. So they're trying to apply this to Mick Mulvaney. I would only suggest that, like the story I saw about donations. He's not an important political figure in this country or anything, so, you know, can't be associated with him. And the the piece that was done on contributions, this was a long time ago, but the contributions to the January 6th, people that this many millions of dollars have been given to people who tried to steal the election. And I looked, and it included all contributions to the RNC and the NRCC. Well, let me tell you, folks, if we've decided that any contribution or any Republican is now totally out of bounds, that sounds a lot like a one-party state, and that's not a good not a good place to be. It is that time. Time to we kick are up. rolling up on our obsessions of the week. Roll. Where we are going to break down. The stories that we could not get out of our heads. Or just thought up 30 seconds ago. Uh, or just one. chose 30 either seconds one. ago to put into the stack. All right, okay. Chris. Mine is oh yeah, Ginny Thomas. Lordy day. Ginny Thomas, which it is both my obsession and the mainstream media's obsession. Well, we give have it, a shared obsession give us, for different First give reasons. us a factual recitation, counselor, I on will. what happened. The 
it is pretty clear that the January 6th committee, the committee to investigate the January 6th, which is le- uh, which is riots. leaking like a yes, leaking like a tugboat. Pretty clear yeah. that they have leaked text messages between Mark Meadows and Jenny Thomas. In explain which- for lis- explain for listeners, if you would the role that Ginny Thomas has played on the American right for the past 20 years. Ginny Thomas is, I would say, a rank-and-file, like, conservative activist on the little more than further rank and file. right yeah. uh, side. You but know, was normal conservative. Little, and little then, loony. Yeah. Pretty far out there. Got got weirder in the, like, as we, she's... she's got sort, Trumpy. I would put her sort of in the schlap vein of, like, it got, got much more intense in the De- Trump era. Different from schlap, I would say she's a true believer. You know, I think she, I think she really believes, you don't think Ginny is? No, no, I think reading the text messages, she was clearly duped. She was a clear dupe, and I feel very bad because it's so embarrassing. The text messages are like, Rudy, keep up the good work. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Roll up to them. Okay, so she, these text messages have been leaked clearly in an attempt to sully Justice Clarence Thomas, who is a fete noir of the left. Well, but also it's a, just a, it's a juicy leak. It's a juicy leak. It too. is. So she is texting Mark Meadows in the days after November 6th. Meadows was then White House chief of staff saying, you got to figure out a way to swing this election the other way. This can't stand. But it's frantic. And she's like, she's please frantic. tell the president. She's a true believer. Yep. And Rudy, she, she has, Rudy Giuliani killing it. she's expressing a series of Bad, stupid opinions. Yes. To Mark Meadows. That reveal her to be a person. So there's two groups of people with the Stop the Steal stuff. There are the the dupers and the duped, and she reveals herself to have been clearly taken in by the, the, the complete Chinese Zodiac boats are depositing ballots off the main coast, and there's bamboo fibers in the Arizona ballots. This leak has led to a hysterical wall-to-wall media (laughs) coverage of the mainstream and i just want to play a little taste of it let's hit it we do have breaking news this morning sources telling cnn that the january 6th committee will likely reach out to the wife of supreme court justice clarence thomas here in the coming weeks we now have a situation where the wife of a justice has gone on a crusade and has uh said this is warfare do not concede what's extraordinary is that her husband justice thomas remains sitting on the bench in cases directly relevant to what she's talking about in these in these texts that's just a taste of the mainstream media coverage of these text messages which have led to calls from democrats that Justice Clarence Thomas must recuse himself from any case involving January 6th, that he should be impeached from the court, that he should step aside, this, that, and the other thing. And my favorite part of this, I'll get to why this is my obsession, a couple things, is the media itself comments that this is the first thing that's pushed Ukraine off the front pages. Who said I saw it like, you know, CNN... Oh. This and that, they're saying this is the first story that's been able to like push Ukraine off the news. You guys you are it. writing you the it. news. Right. You're according like it this report- much this importance. It's like when reporters are like, there's been much discussion, and it's like, yes. from you. You uh, are doing it. Exactly. And if you read through, and I will link the New York Times article, Democrats led by Chuck Schumer are arguing that 
Clarence Thomas should recuse himself from any case around January 6th. Now, look, that's not a crazy thing. It's not crazy. I don't agree with it. But you get no counterargument in any of these pieces about, first of all, really like what the parameters for recusal are and no counterargument about why he should not recuse. So this is from The New York Times, which we'll link, quote, the disclosures add urgency to questions about how Ms. Thomas may have leveraged her marriage to Justice Thomas, who would huh? be ruling on elections cases throughout the battle over the 2020 vote and beyond. How is to that? To be clear, there is zero evidence that she leveraged her marriage to him. And who cares? Him. Who it cares is- if she did? And then there's even... I'm more than willing to believe that Jenny Thomas has been massively advantaged in her career because she is married to a person who was one of the most beloved, protected. I referred to him uh, in another podcast I recorded today as a Fabergé egg of the American right. He was a victim of racism, attacked by Democrats. He would like he had he he had it all, and I'm sure his wife benefited by association with this beloved figure on the American right. And next point being, who cares? This is the next best part from the Times story. The Thomases have been a fiercely close couple for decades. Fiercely. So they're married. Fiercely close. In his memoir, Justice Thomas wrote that they were, quote, one being. Isn't that what you, like, yes, pledged to be? Yes, Okay? Yes. And called her, quote, his best friend. Dun, oh, my dun, God. Dun, she often dun. uses similar language to describe her husband. It is so... It is so offensive that this is like being turned into a scandal. And my, Hold on, fellas. We've got yes. breaking news coming in. What's the story? Turns out the Thomases are still very much they're in love. They're best friends. Yes, they're still very much in love. Well, Husband that, and wife that are best friends. My analysis of this is the Democrats tried hard yeah. to keep Clarence Thomas off the court. Joe Biden. They, they failed. Yeah. yeah, Joe Biden. They tried hard to keep Brett Kavanaugh off the court. Yep. They failed. Yep. They tried kind of hard, not that hard, to pack the court. They failed. Lightly. That was, some, they, that was mostly malarkey. They tried to keep Ruth Bader Ginsburg alive. They failed at that. Um, oh, my gosh. So, they t- <laughs> you, well, make it, you make no. it sound like their failure. I just like mean, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer I, were I mean, in the uh, operating room. Like, well, can they we wish. save her? They can wish. Can we save her? I I think that these leaks by Democrats on the January 6th committee and their attempts to tarnish the reputation of the court are a political act. It's like political acting out because they have lost the fight for the court for this generation. Well, I think also, and again, I don't want to make reference to a competing podcast on which I appeared today, The Remnant with Jonah Goldberg. But I, I do want to make the point here that because it, it is a media point. During investigations, members of Congress believe that leaking little bits leads to good outcomes. Republicans do it. Democrats do it. And this, you know, the politicoification of everything where it's like, who's winning the hour? Well, we got to leak out about Ginny Thomas and da-da-da-da-da. But in the end, it damages – if the goal of Democrats on the committee – and I don't think this is their only goal – but if the goal of Democrats on the committee was only to cause Republicans political pain ahead of the 2022 midterms with the January 6th committee, what they're doing with these unethical leaks is 
counterproductive to that end. We remember with the Mueller report how the leaks created false expectations and stepped on the actual lines of the report. If the Mueller report had come out two weeks after Mueller had started without the PP tape and the leaks and the, all of the stuff that created all the false expectations. It would have been incredibly damaging to Trump. But it came out and had been stepped on so much by the leaks that it was like, yeah, OK, so what? And that's what they're doing here again. And if I was Bernie Thompson and I was running this committee, I would say the next leak that happens here, we are going to full absolute NATSEC seal on this. No documents to be circulated. Everything will be done in a clean room. I'm going to have to treat you people like babies if you can't figure out how to do it. It's unethical, but it's also a dumb media strategy. Now we go to your obsession. And I would just... I got it all out. In in, in conclusion on that, though, I would say uh, I agree with Adam White, my colleague here at AEI, who basically said that Thomas has put himself... Thomas, Jenny Thomas put Clarence and the leak but Jenny Thomas has put her husband in a, in a difficult position on recusals when it comes to the rest of this stuff. There isn't a ton of the stuff left that's probably going to come to the Supreme Court, but she has put she has put her husband in a very difficult position. I agree that she has put her husband in a difficult position. I do not agree that he has to recuse. She's not a party to any of these cases. She has nothing to do with the National Archives. I, I understand that there are counter arguments. I just don't agree that he Didn't, needs to recuse or that his like partiality is. Reason, reasonable people can disagree on the subject. Agree. I, I, and you would not get that impression from reading no, you would these not. articles. Nor, of course, to, to uh, now you can do your meme, but nor would you re- get from right media that it was a reasonable consideration about whether or not Thomas should have to recuse himself. I thought Jason Riley wrote a thoughtful piece in defense, basically that taking your position. I read that. But a lot of the cut, some of it has been one, one, I forget who wrote it, but said that it's misogynistic because would somebody have said this if, if it was a husband? And I'm like, yeah, I would say <laughs> if, if Amy Coney Barrett's husband was sending hot texts to Mark Meadows about keeping Rudy Giuliani and what's her name? The Kraken. Sydney Powell. Sydney Powell, keeping them rocking in front of Four Seasons Landscaping, I would say that person has been duped and they have put their spouse in a difficult position. My obsession or the item that we wanted to put here as we were stacking the show today is, guess what? Listen to the inestimable Mika Brzezinski. She shares a lot of vulnerable stories during her Red Table talks. She shares with her family. She goes there on issues. She goes where no one has the guts to go. She can take care of herself, thank you, number one. And number two, Will Smith had a long time to think about what he was doing as he was walking up on that stage. And I just don't know how it still came to that. That was really disappointing. Talk about the big news story of the week. So I know you don't want to talk about the slap. I don't think I want to talk about the slap. But we would be remiss as critics, uh, as uh, journalists about journalism, if we did not talk about the biggest media story of the week, which came as a great, you could feel the relief in each piece because it was like, my God, we have something to write about. And we have something to say about the Oscars. But much of what was said was profoundly dumb. And I will share with you, I thought that I had found the dumbest thing written about uh, this at Time Magazine. Here's your headline. Don't overlook, and follow me on this word, the misogynoir. 
misogynoir, M-I-S-O-G-Y-N-O-I-R. And this is black misogyny. This is anti, this is anti-black woman. So don't underlook, don't overlook the misogynoir that lies at the root. And by the way, if you get a misogynoir with a light truffle oil, it can be really delicious. Uh, that lies at the root of the Will Smith, Chris Rock incident. Uh, this from K.D. Lang, not K.D. Lang, the musician, but C.A.D.Y. Lang. K.D. Lang rocks. But this person wants you to know that for all the hand-wringing and gawking the world has engaged in, and they all, all these terrible pieces start this way. Oh, for all that everybody is saying about this, the real thing that you should be upset about in this case is the degrading joke that Chris Rock made. And it's like, I think the story is the international celebrity and former host of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air going up and giving a theatrical pimp slap (laughs) to his fellow actor and international celebrity Chris Rock. I'm pretty sure that that is the story. And here's a... You know how it's a totally craptacular story because it includes a quote, tw- quoted tweets are in there. So, but here's a dead giveaway. This is a Steyerwaltian rule of you know you found bad journalism when it includes quotes that are basically some people said on the internet. Here are some things that other dumb people said on the internet. Don't just take my word for it. Check out these randos on the internet and they will tell you that it's true. And then it goes on. Well, so I, I found that and thought that I had won. And then the great Samantha Goldstein. Oh, she said, Chris, you think that you found the dumbest piece. But how about this? From Forbes magazine. While talking about Will Smith's behavior, okay, don't forget, I must not forget, what must I not forget? To talk about the system that helped create it, what was it? Well, white racism, you'll be surprised to find out, ladies and gentlemen, that white racism is at the root of this act of one black person against another black person. It's just obvious. Don't you see that really white people are to blame for this? And well, you know what I was thinking this whole time, Chris, mm. about criminal justice reform, et cetera, mm-hmm. that if Will Smith were black, he would have been arrested and locked up and given an inordinate sentence compared to I hate to, his to break this white to you. Peers. I hate yes. to break this to you, but Will Something Smith may be black. Unjust he may happened. be black. Yeah. It, it, so I, I don't want to pick on these people too much. Everybody's got deadlines. Everybody's a got Karen, a, that Karen Chris Rock would have pressed charges and he would be behind bars. Well, and let me just say, the correct thing would have been for Will Smith to have been arrested. That would have been the correct thing, and it would have, it would have shown people that we don't have two systems of justice for rich people and poor people. Because if you go up and slap people, you should be arrested. And I'm not saying he should be jailed, but he should have been arrested and he should have been released on bail because that's a crime and he shouldn't have done it. And the the system having systems for wealthy elites and regular people is a, ba- a very bad thing. But the takeaway for me more than anything else is, while I don't want to pick on people who are trying to meet deadline and do stuff, sometimes a slap can be a slap. And sometimes a kook can be a kook. And just let it be. And this is the reason the news loves this story. There are so few points of shared experience now, right? It's like basically the Super Bowl and the Oscars was sort of falling off the stage, no pun intended, for shared community events that you could talk about, right? Because let's say you're, have you ever watched Kelly Ripa Mm -hmm. and Ryan Seacrest? Seacrest. 
Didn't she used to have Michael? Was Michael Strahan used to be on that show? Mm -hmm. And then now he's on Good Morning America. I like Michael Strahan. He is very good. Ryan Seacrest looks pinched and unhappy doing what he's doing, but mm -hmm. whatever. But those two impossibly skinny people sit next to each she other. She is so skinny. Yeah, you could pick. You could pick a lock with Kelly Ripa. Oh, oh, that's a good one. And. They, every day, need something to talk about that is a shared experience for Americans. And there are very few things that are shared experiences for Americans anymore because we're so atomized in our media consumption. Finally, they had something. So the reason the slap heard around the world was it was finally something that all of the dumb culture coverage could say, at last, one thing everyone knows about. I just want to say for the record that when I inevitably get smacked in public. Oh, you think you'll be I, getting smacked? Yes. Oh, I think you'll be the slapper. Well, you don't. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but when I inevitably get smacked in public. I never I say anything react, bad about Patrick. I hope, I hope to react. <laughs> That's my husband. I hope I hope to react the way Chris Rock did. Oh, he's cool. He he's was cool. a total pro. It, that was a very exciting moment for us here on Angstain Wretches. Do tell. We have a new segment. Yes, we're Which experimenting. We're dipping our reader toes in. Mail. Yes. Reader mail. Reader mail. So I chose two letters okay. to talk about. We did a little bit of this last Where week. Where can people write after. us letters? Please write us. Wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com with an S on the end. Wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. Everything's Please plural. Please write us. Even if we don't reply, we read all of them. Or at least Samantha does. And I do. I go in there and read them, and I forward my those favorite ones to Chris. So the first letter that I loved was from Carter, who directed his note to Chris and said, You have not educated your co-host, even on the basics of West Virginia. The public demands you play the song on the next podcast. And for Eliana, the song is John Denver's Take Me Home, what Country is he, Road. What is he correcting you I'll now? get there. All right. It is an American classic. She clearly did not understand the meaning of the boat's name, Shaking My Head, and he is referring to Joe Manchin's yacht. It's or not a not yacht. yacht it's not a yacht. Which is called Almost Heaven. And Carter, I love that song, and I did not put two and two together, which now is so obvious, but we should play a little bit of the song. I'm, I will never oppose a clip, from, and if we can find it, the live performance at Mountaineer Field that he gave for the dedication of Mountaineer Field in 1982. It'll just make me tear up. But it's not a yacht, and though that was a great, great coverage. And so the two slogans, my favorite West Virginia slogan is wild, comma, wonderful. Because West Virginia is wild. <laughs> but it's wonderful, too. Like, you know how people say, keep Austin weird? Yeah. Keep West Virginia wild. Like, we do not want West Virginia to become civilized to such an extent that everybody feels comfortable there. And I am reminded of the woman. I was with my dad one time, and we were waiting to see. He was a he was looking at some coal mine to as as a possible vendor that to to he was a coal broker, and he was looking at this as possible coal that he might sell. And he was waiting there, and the woman lived from across across the Tug River over in Kentucky. And he said, and where are you from? And she said, well, I'm from Rough and Tough. And I will tell you, there is a town just across the river called Rough and Tough, Kentucky. And she said, and he said to her, and she was totally like cat eyeglasses, slight beehive hairdo, very traditional Southern Appalachian woman, looked very like a church woman. And my dad said, well, are they rough and tough in Rough and Tough? And she totally deadpan. Waits one beat and goes, 
I don't know, but we do eat our young. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so wild. We got so I love almost heaven, and it is almost heaven, but it is definitely wild and wonderful. The next and last piece of mail is from Chris, who wrote us back in mid-March, but I just liked this letter and thought it was a good question. And Chris said, NPR correspondent Nina Totenberg's story about Justice Neil Gorsuch's refusal to oh, wear a mask. Yes. The story prompted statements from Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Sotomayor and Gorsuch, where they basically went on the record and said, no, the story was wrong. That's and that's to- shot. And-, and then NPR came back and they added clarifications and updates. But as Chris points out, they didn't retract anything or correct the story. And so Chris asked us to pull back the curtain and describe what happens in a newsroom when something like this happens, which I thought was a great question. So for anybody who forgot, the story was that Sonia Sotomayor, who has been very COVID cautious, She's diabetic. She has an She's diabetic, and yeah. she like she and and I I have heard her talk about it. She actually did an interesting interview. I can't believe I'm saying this, but actually did an interesting interview with Conan O'Brien about she writes children's books. That sounds interesting. And she was on to talk about the children's book, so it was interesting to get her point of view. And she is very COVID. Mm. So the story was that she was going well, to participate. Lord knows they can't lose her right now. Uh, the, the well they could. They, I mean, they could. Now would be the now's yes, the time. Now's the time. Now's the, I'm, I'm not to be morbid, but her the story from Nina Totenberg, who Nina Totenberg used to be at the Times, so she she has covered the Supreme Court. Approx, I think. I think she was. I think she Since was. Since like she was there for she was there for John Jay's confirmation here. <laughs> so she's covered the Supreme. Was he a Supreme Court justice? He was the yeah, John Jay. Come on, yeah. Let's go get your Federalists right, right. straight, but. Nina Totenberg covered the Supreme Court for a long time, and she brings the first a- Chief Justice. I know. Here we are at AEI. Wow. That's what that's that's what we're smoking I gotta over ed- here. Educate yeah, myself. He was the first Chief Justice, but of course, John Marshall was the definitive. He defined the role. But anyway, Nina Totenberg has, brings a point of view to her Supreme Court coverage. She is very well sourced, but she certainly brings a point. She, of I have no view. idea if she's well sourced or not. Well, she she is in this case no. So she, they go with a story that says Sonia Sotomayor was going to join the oral arguments for the first time in person, but because Neil Gorsuch refused to wear a mask, that she had to stay in her office and join. And what a cruel person Neil Gorsuch with. Actually, he does have Bond villain hair. So he definitely looks yeah, like. Yeah, he's very classically handsome. N- Neil Silver Gors- Fox. N- Neil Gorsuch definitely looks like the killer in a Law and Order. He's episode. got the David Gregory Silver Fox thing going. But like he, you're like, you know how you can always tell who the murder in the Law and Order episode is. Find the person who looks the most Republican, and that will be the killer. Be a guy in a striped tie with salt and pepper and hair, and they're like, murder, <laughs> murderer. Anyway, um, said that, and then it was revealed that it wasn't so. Well. Roberts came out with an on-the-record statement saying he had not asked any of the justices to wear a mask. Gorsuch and Sotomayor together issued a statement. So what happens in a newsroom? Do you want to take that one? Well, I think here the question is, Nina Totenberg may have been right in that somebody told her that, and maybe even Sotomayor told her that, right? Because maybe that's what Sotomayor— How rude that Sotomayor then came out on the record. Well, and then that's what happens, right? Because let's say in this scenario that— 
and I don't think that Justice, I'm not saying Justice Sotomayor did this and that I have any knowledge. People, Politico having already mistaken her for Chuck Schumer's wife at Lit Diplomat, <laughs> uh, she has, su- she's suffered enough. She's suffered enough. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't know who was more offended in that one, but whatever. I'm sure nobody was happy. So Sotomayor may have, and I'm not saying she did, but might have wanted to point to draw attention to Gorsuch's masklessness. And that maybe if you happen to know Nina Totenberg or maybe somebody who worked for you who would let out like, well, she probably would have done it if Gorsuch had been willing to wear a mask. But then, of course, when the story gets out and John Roberts, who runs a very good court, said, surely you children are not acting like this and discrediting the court and sowing enmity between the members, right? And that Sotomayor goes, of course, we would never do such a thing. And I eagerly will have. So I guess the- I'm like, how have you been talking this long and not answered the question? Well, but that is part of the question. So the first question is, is the reporter wrong? And in this case- She's freaking wrong. That was a real, okay, Chris, she's wrong. And I will tell you, in my opinion. Okay. Okay. In my opinion. She's wrong. And this is like reporter's worst nightmare where I remember the feeling of like nerves and your heart sinks and somebody comes on the record and, and they sell you contradicts out. you. Well, I, I don't know if she got sold out. She could have been she could But she could have been sold Maybe. out. Right. But that's the worst one where somebody tells you off the record and then they contradict, <laughs> contradict okay. themselves in public. I've actually never had that happen to me. Oh, but, yeah. but. It's a terrible feeling, and I will say, when that has happened to me, you have to eat it. Of course. You have to put in a correction and say, we got this wrong, we regret the error. Yep. A correction. What I have seen increasingly is a kind of rewriting of stories. And what do they call them? Updates, update. Upstate, updates, and... Clarifications. Amplifications. It's all these different things to it's like doing verbal gymnastics and contortions to prevent like having to say we got this wrong and we're sorry. I 100% and so agree. I think there was full knowledge in NPR that they got this wrong and then a series of efforts to be technically correct in what is on the website now right. without saying we got it wrong and we're really sorry. And Who just the- in my personal experience, like I had a really bad one when I was at Politico. You that was to- horrible. Yeah. It was like it's horrible even to relive. There, it's but a then terrible, terrible feeling. I like I even wrote the people implicated in the story. Like if I was Totenberg, I would have written Gorsuch and Sotomayor if they were not the sources and been like, hey, I'm really sorry. I you know, work up. is work. I screwed up like. I, you know, can we get lunch? Seth Lipsky, who we talked about in the Ben Smith episode, he gave a great tip and it it wasn't fully applicable to this. But he said, when you write a nasty story about someone, ask them to lunch the next day. And it's kind of like if you make a mistake about someone, it impacts them negatively, like own up to own up to it. Ask them to lunch the next day. I don't really think that's how um, these things are handled now, but that's what I would do and how it's how the beacon handles things. We put corrections in and we say we regret the error. And I somebody wrote a good piece. I forget who it was about the Hunter Biden thing. And I think. It, oh, no, it was Megan McArdle. 
at the Washington Post. Here I will, and here allow me to play, praise the Washington Post yet again, twice in one episode, for Megan McArdle's piece talking about the Hunter Biden laptop. Well, I like that you're praising it for a piece that shames the Washington Post. Well, Post for publishing a piece that shames the Post. But she, but but Megan made a really good point, which is the reflexive defensiveness of the mainstream press is the problem, right? Yeah. That as opposed to, like, here's the thing. People get stuff wrong. I don't think Nina Totenberg acted in malice. I don't think that she was lying. I don't think she made it up. But she got it wrong. And she either got it wrong because her source flipped or she got it wrong because the source was had bad information. We all mess up. This is journalism. We have to expect that there are going to be errors. But when you make an error and you're wrong, clean it up. Make a real correction. Make a full breast of it. And, you know, when you're going to be sorry, when you're going to say you're sorry, and this is not just journalism, but when you're going to say you're sorry, do it all, right? Don't say, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. <laughs> say, I'm sorry for what I did. If you're sorry, be sorry. And NPR, I think— Not just in journalism. And not just in journalism. And you know what? I just think that in in final answer to the question— Part of a problem arises when you have Bigfoots, and Nina Totenberg is a Bigfoot. Uh, and a Bigfoot, in newsroom terms, is the person who can come in when you're working on your story, and they can Bigfoot you. And they can say, no, I'm more important here. I'm taking over here. So this is like in TV, I call them anchor monsters, people who get too famous and too important, and then they, they're beyond, they become beyond the control, and they start mistreating people. If you have a star reporter like Nina Totenberg, who's a Bigfoot, she probably is much harder to manage and deal with on these kinds of things than you. It's, it's easy to say to some 30 year old, hey, you blew it. Here's the correction moving on. But when it's Nina Totenberg, she probably uh, will micturate in your cornflakes if you uh, upset her. Chris, it is it is now time for Chris's favorite it's part so good. of the week. And I'm excited. I have a real favorite item this week, and it relates to the to this reader mail. But Chris, you you lead me by example, saying something nice. Well, I want to associate myself with some a piece in from the Pointer Institute. I know, I know, but it's really good because here's the headline: Optimism, pessimism, or skepticism. News outlets focus on the right thing in the Rus- in Russia Ukraine coverage. While intelligent analysis and predictions can be worthwhile, news outlets are mostly doing the responsible thing and reporting the facts. And I agree. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the wringing emotionality out of these things, and that is bad, and people should not do that, and they shouldn't watch it. It's, it's gross. But I think, by and large, the coverage has been circumspect and has reflected humility and that we don't know on domestic policy what happens. Well, this will happen this way. For There is no inflation or there's this or there's whatever it is. We get a lot of absolutes and a lot of dogmatic coverage that suggests that the, that the answer is clear when it should be much more nuanced and it should be much more humble. I do think that the coverage of Ukraine has been more humble. And I do think I think this is a byproduct of the post 9-11 wars. I think it's a byproduct of a lot of things. I think it's a byproduct of Russia being weird. But I, this circumspection and humility about how things are going and the reminding this is really what I'm praising them for, reminding news consumers that this is not all that is known. 
This is what we know. This is this is the you know about Immanuel Kant's tapestry. When you are weaving, Chris the, just got a blank stare for me. When you are weaving, I only know about the categorical imperative. The, okay, so but when the you're sexy categorical, sexy imperative. categorical, you know we're really upping the heat when we've yeah. gotten nobody's to tuning philosophy, in for us to talk about Kant. Kantian philosophy, but the 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 tapestry being, we are not aware of what we're making, and only. In hindsight, do you look back and see what a life was lived? We're only looking at a little, even the best reporters can only see a little bit of this conflict. And we don't really know too much. And reminding news consumers of the limited scope that you have is appropriate. And more of this, please. My favorite uh, item of the week is both a shining example of media accountability and a really interesting interview, a really interesting and well-done interview. And that is the New York Times' Ezra Klein interviewing The Economist Larry Summers on inflation. And Ezra Klein was one of these people saying it's transitory. Republicans are making too much of it, this, that and the other. And he does a mea culpa, basically saying I got it wrong. And it's a fascinating interview. Let's play a little clip of it. And so the idea is if the long term market expectations haven't moved, maybe we don't need to slam the brakes on the economy so hard. Maybe people aren't telling that longer story and they're still open to this being, as the now buried adjective goes, transient. So, look, Ezra, I'd love for all that stuff to be true. I spent 20 years pushing various kinds of strongly Keynesian theories that were directed at the idea that we should promote demand. So, yay. Uh, I think it's great and refreshing when we hear people say, like, you know, I got it wrong. And let's talk to the person who got it right and get into it. And we will link that interview in the show notes. Look at the harmony that yes. look at how everything harmonizes and and reflects back on the viewer mail or the listener mailbag. I mean, what can't we do? What we've talked Kantian philosophy, we've dovetailed topics. I I mean, this is it. You're you're the you you people are lucky to have it's us. It's a buffet. It's a, a buffet. buffet. Yeah. That is all the time we have left for the news about the news. Again, if you have a story you want us to talk about or a lesson that you want Chris to teach me about West Virginia, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for wretches. What, what?